So how does a 23-year-old in Atlanta, Georgia, get in touch with an 150 millionaire in Austin, Texas? Here's how you do it. Write this down, ladies and gentlemen. This is my thing. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. <laughs> what is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast, the show where we give you all the information to be rich, happy, and financially free for free. We give you all the information you could possibly want if you need help with execution, implementation, accountability, and also just want to find a group of like-minded peers. You can check us out at theactionacademy.co in the show description. You can apply to join our community. Guys, Singapore was freaking dope. 2022 was definitely the year of travel for me. As I'm looking back and I did the math, seven months out of the year were spent traveling full-time all around the country, around U.S., around the world. So no better place to end it and punctuate that chapter of my life than with Singapore for New Year's. So that was freaking awesome. Shout out Calvin Chin uh, for inviting me to his wedding over there. It was a bucket list experience. I stayed at the Marina Bay Sands. I went in the infinity pool. I looked at it over the skyline. And guys, I had a thought before we get into this episode today. I had a thought that I wanted to share with all of you. I was looking out over the skyline and I was seeing thousands and thousands of these massive skyscrapers in Singapore, right? And all of these are banks and different companies and different businesses. And I thought about it. And there's a person or a small select group of people that own each one of those buildings and each one of those companies. So there's thousands and thousands of people. There's millions of people that are these elite people that are at the top of the game that nobody talks about. They're not in the news, but they're killing it. And why can't we be that, right? I think we're just so used to being exposed to mediocrity and normalcy that we don't think to be around those circles of those people that are doing that. So That was a huge wake-up moment for me. I was like, holy crap, as I was sitting up there in the pool, 57 stories above Singapore, and I was looking at all these skyscrapers. I was just like, man, there's levels to the game. So let's operate at that level, you and me, all of us together. Let's do it. 2023, let's go. This is my first live episode of the new year, microphone in hand as I'm about to move to Austin, Texas. Shout out to the thousands of new listeners that are listening to the sound of my voice right now. As a welcome to the Action Academy, I wanted to post this episode that features me, actually, from another show, The Financial Independence Show with my buddies Cody Berman and Justin Taylor. It's another freaking dope podcast, and I was honored to be a guest on their show. They interviewed me about my journey, my story, how I left corporate America and discovered financial freedom. So it's a really tactical episode that they did a really good job hosting and getting some good information and actionable steps out of me. So it was cool to be in the other chair for this one. So sit back, enjoy, and hopefully you learn a lot from little old me. (laughs) Have fun, guys. It was a pretty typical American middle-class upbringing to where I was not groomed to be an entrepreneur. I was not groomed to be 
well-versed with money. I didn't barely know that money existed until probably my senior year of college. That's the first time that I remember consciously even being aware really of money besides, oh, I need $200 to go spend at the bar in college, or I need to pay for my room or my dorm. That was it. So it was actually funny because my relationships with money growing up are directly the correlate to what I want to have for my kids in the future. Because as a kind of a macro and a micro view at the macro, my father was a hard worker, but very absent as a father. So that dynamic has stuck with me through my life and directly impacted my relationship with him. And he was very tight about his money. Nobody in the family was allowed to know how much my dad made, especially my mom. To this day, we finally found out through federal records how much he was making, which was $176,000, which is an important point to make that we can come back to later in the show because your first mental financial barrier is how much your parents made. So you need to break through that to get on to bigger and brighter things. So his entire upbringing, he was a role model to me of what not to be. So now in my future, when I have kids, I'm going to be a present dad, which is why I pursue financial independence and financial freedom. So I have my time to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And also, I want to raise them with a really healthy understanding of money. I'm going to have them doing chores as soon as they can walk. I'm going to have them paying taxes, quote unquote, and learning about saving and investing as soon as they can walk because I have friends that are like that. And it's such a cheat code to get your kids doing that from the get go. So that's my entire backstory, essentially, when it comes to money. Well, obviously, we're going to unpack like where you are today. But I think one thing that's always interesting to ask is, OK, say you're coming out of high school, getting ready to go into college. What did you picture that your life was going to be like? If you ask, what do you expect you were going to end up doing? Oh, man, I could not tell you. And it's honestly ridiculous that we even expect that of an 18-year-old to have any idea or a foggy clue of what they want to do. And then we talk about coaches, courses, mastermind, and people being afraid to invest like $1,000 or $5,000 into furthering their education, especially at the level that you and I and all of us are at. But we, without a blink or a bat of an eye, will go throw $30,000 towards a four-year college. And that's okay. And we're not even sure what we're doing with it. So that was me. Wanted to do the Greek life thing, maybe business. But originally at that moment, marketing was what I thought. Like kind of graphic design was what I originally was going to college for. I went to orientation and I went to an art college. Yeah, that was not my people. I ended up getting a business degree, graduated marketing, and then went to a sales profession. And so at what point does money become more of a fascinating thing to you? I know you mentioned it wasn't until your senior year of college, you had a little bit of an epiphany about money. It wasn't like just the $200 to go out to the bar or to get groceries or pay your rent. It started to become something more for you. Can you talk about that moment if it was a specific light bulb moment? Was it a podcast or someone you had a conversation with or a book or what sparked that? So two answers. There's the realization about money itself. And then there's the realization of investing in assets and net worth and balance sheet. So realization number one was when I was going to have my marketing degree. And I was looking at these jobs and I said, okay, $50,000 a year. And I was like, okay, so the best marketing directors make that. The worst marketing directors make that. So there's no room for improvement. So why would I work harder than somebody else for that? And then I realized the concepts of commission. So I said, okay, so I can go over into sales and I can be better than other people and therefore ipso facto make more money. I control my own fate. That's what made me go into a sales profession and start making good money right immediately out of college. So that was my first kind of time that I thought about money from a strategic point of view. Fast forward a couple of years, 
I'm pretty good at talking, even better at asking questions, which is why I have a podcast too. And I made it to the top of that company. I blew it out of the water, became like that Wonderkins and Fortune 500. I made it to the top. They were grooming me to be the vice president of sales. I was number eight out of 5,079 sales reps, making over $200,000 a year at 23, 24, 25 years old. And I started listening to these podcasts about business and real estate. And somebody was mentioning net worth. And they were talking about how they're a millionaire and million dollar net worth. And I was like, what's net worth? And keep in mind, I'm somebody that's making a lot of money, especially disposable income. And I was like, what's net worth? And I went and looked at mine. Once I found out what it was, I was renting a high rise apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, and spending all of my money. And so I realized my balance sheet was zero, zero. So I looked myself in the mirror and I said, you, Brian Lubin, are worthless on paper, literally. And that was my light bulb moment. That was my epiphany to where I said, okay, assets. I need to put my money into things and vehicles that are going to make money for me so I can grow this up. And that's when I started buying real estate at that point. And when you had that epiphany, how aggressive was that change? How quick, how sudden? Was it just a rip the bandaid off, completely change the way you were living? Or was it a little more gradual? Rip the bandaid off. Just how I'm cut. As soon as I make that realization, I immediately take action. That's just how I was raised. And that's the moniker that I preach through my content and through my message and through my brand, Action Academy, is like, you just need to take action fast, hard, and often. And sometimes you're going to be wrong and take an action in the wrong direction, but that's okay. It's just you have to pivot. So for me, I already had the discipline because I was a tenured sales rep at an enterprise level. So I already had discipline behind making cold calls, behind following up, sending emails, closing deals. So I was like, I can take the same discipline that I'm learning from corporate America and I can apply it to my life today. So I immediately started cutting all my expenses right out the top. Now, I'm not the type of guy that's, okay, I'm going to stop doing Starbucks coffee (laughs) because I'm like, that's just insane. But for me, what I do when I was starting my financial independence journey, I was like, what are my big things? What are like the three big things that I got to pay off? Student loans, house payment, and car. So paid my car off cash and then ended up buying another car that was even cheaper just for straight cash. Paid off the student loans with the residual money that I made from a company I started in college, a DJ company, actually. And then what I did was I moved a roommate in to my high rise apartment and told him from the very get go, say, I'm going to save $25,000 throughout this year. I'm going to save 50% of each and every paycheck that I get. And I'm going to buy a house at the end of this year. And that was 2019. And I did that. Bought my first house hack at the end of that year. And he didn't believe me and he didn't think I was going to leave. And so he was cussing me out. He's like, what am I going to do, bro? What am I going to do now? And ladies and gentlemen, listening to this day, when you are starting your financial freedom journey, your family, your friends, everyone that knows you will not embrace it with open arms. And this guy was my best friend. And he talked so much crap to me. And I can promise you today, you guys listening, I have now traveled around the world. I've done everything I've wanted to do. I've left corporate America and that guy's still living in the same damn apartment complex to this day. So true, man. So I have a bunch of notes here. I was taking some frantic notes while you were talking because you got this DJ company we haven't talked about. We talked earlier. This is actually one important point I want to hit on. You said that 176K number was really important that you found out years later that your dad was making. And you said like blowing past what your parents are making or just blowing past some of those living beliefs is one of the most important things on your financial independence journey. But it sounds like you were making like 200K straight out of the gate. So can we talk about the mindset and like 
you probably didn't have mentors or role models in your immediate family or immediate friend circle that were making that type of money. So what was it like from a mindset perspective to see that type of money coming in? If you could tie this all into the 176K. Yeah. So a couple of key pivot points there. So for people listening, there's this thing called financial thermostat. So this is going to be your financial comfort level. So that's why people that are raised from a wealthy perspective and a wealthy environment, they're used to higher levels, like their financial thermostat is higher to where maybe they're used to an environment where their parents make 400, 500, a million dollars a year. And so that's normal to them. So why would you not make that? And just that belief alone causes them to ask bigger questions and then pursue that because they know it to be possible. So normally it's the opposite for most of us. And then we're like, okay, we can't do anything because we're used to that level. It's like the comfort zone, right? So when you fall beneath it, you'll dial it up to get there. And then if you go above it, you have a self-worth issue subconsciously and you're going to self-sabotage yourself to get back down to that level. So the pivot point, what I recommend to other people is to start with finding a mentor within the workplace. So what I did is I found who is the number one sales rep in the company I was working for. And it was this girl out of Montana. And I sent her an email and I said, hey, I want to learn everything that you do and then immediately apply it to my business. And so that's what I did as a sales rep. And that's what made me balloon up to that next level was that was my first run of mentorship. And then eventually, I did that same practice with getting out of the job and exiting corporate America by getting mentorship and coaching from people that had done that. So mentorship, coaching and mastermind is the cheat code to get to where you want to be. I'm now at a point in my life and career where anywhere that I'm trying to go, I'm not asking how I'm asking who, who has done that, who has been there? How can I get into their world? That's the only how I ask. And then I go off of their mentorship. And there's so many places where we can come across like an advertisement for a program, a class, a mentor or whatever. Like, how would you recommend people making sure that they're vetting the situation, like not being so hesitant that they don't invest in something like a mastermind, but being hesitant enough to where they don't get themselves burned? So what I would not do is Google financial freedom coach. <laughs> That's probably, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that it's probably not your best bet. So what I recommend is A, getting a very crystal clear idea and a vision of what you want your life to look like and who you are and who you want to be. Okay. That is very important because the more clear that you are about who you want to become and where you want to be, we have this thing in our brain called the reticular activating system, the RAS. And what the best way to describe that is whenever you buy a new car, all of a sudden you start seeing that car freaking everywhere on the road. So it controls what your mind subconsciously focuses on. So when you are crystal clear about who you want to become and what type of life you want to live, those people become more and more apparent to you because you're actively looking for them. So hopefully that makes sense to the, all of you people listening right now. So what I did was I heard a podcast with these guys in this mastermind group called GoBundance, which we can get into in a little bit. And I heard them talking about this life where they were like, financial freedom, we can do what we want, when we want, with who we want. We left our jobs. We have this thing called passive income where we get paid without having to work. And I listened to these guys and I was just like, a lightning bolt hit me. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get in touch with these people. All right. So these guys were worth 50 million, 80 million. $150 million. They lived across the country from me. So how does a 23-year-old in Atlanta, Georgia, get in touch with an 150 millionaire in Austin, Texas? Here's how you do it. Write this down, ladies and gentlemen. This is my thing. 
So you need to find a specific problem that somebody has or a specific niche or an itch that you can scratch. You can't just go to people and say, hey, can you mentor me? If they're worth their salt, they're not going to have freaking time to mentor you because you're just another scrub that is trying to get their time because time is the most valuable asset. So what you do is you pay attention and you follow them and you wait. And then eventually, this guy was going to release a book called Wealth Can't Wait. And so I went on his website and I could not find his email. I couldn't find anybody on his team, but I clicked the link to book him for a speaking engagement for 10,000 people. And I figured that somebody on his team that was important would listen to that and read that. And so what ended up happening was I got an email and in the body of paragraph of my request, I said, hey, I just wanted to get your attention. My name's Brian, 23. I'm literally worthless, but I just bought my first house hack. I'll do anything that you hate doing for free. Literally name it and I will do it. All right. So they call me back. They email me and they say, hey, if you're really about this, we're about to do a mastermind event on Thursday. And this was a Tuesday. Okay. And they said, it's going to be $3,500 plus you have to pay for flight, room, board, rental car, all this. So essentially five grand. Did I have five grand at the time? Heck no, I didn't. But I whipped out my credit card and I said, all right, dude, I'll see you in Breckenridge, Colorado on Thursday. I called out sick from work, flew across the country. And as a reward for me even showing up, I had a tea time with that guy the next day. And that's how I met David Osborne, who's the founder of GoBundance. And then that's how I got my entrance into the world of all these multimillionaire entrepreneurs that then took me under their wing, coached me, mentored me, and now grew me into what I am today. So I stand on the shoulders of giants. Pretty normal story. (laughs) Yeah, pretty average story. But that's how a lot of these crazy things happen. It's about literally like one email that you send, filling out that contact form, like that five second action of filling out that contact form changed your entire life which is just insane. And seeing all these people who are doing things that are unfathomable to the normal person, someone who's worth $150 million. I kind of want to swing back for a second to the expense side of things. I know you were living kind of paycheck to paycheck, making 200K from this sales and marketing job. It seems like you're getting plenty of help on the income front. Like you're talking to all these gazillionaires, people crushing it. When you did slash those expenses, I know you said you just went hard and cut all the big things out. Like the you paid your car off, ended up getting a cheaper car, I imagine you downgraded your housing, you started house hacking. What did you get your expenses down to at that point? Did you get it down where you were saving like 75% or what did those numbers look like? Just so we can get into some of your investing journey. I couldn't give you the specific numbers because it was so long ago, but I can tell you my strategy behind it was I had a salary. So 50% of each paycheck that came in each week was going to a savings account, 50%. And then my commission checks, any bit of my commission checks were going straight to my savings. So I was living off of, I specifically remember, $260 a week. (laughs) And that's what I remember because I was saving half of it. And so I was eating a lot of McDonald's, like a lot of Zaxby's, like some fast food. And I like wasn't traveling. But what I did was, man, I saved that 25 grand in that year. And I was very proud of myself. But for people listening, after you get your first like payment saved, it becomes easier and easier because for the next down payment, for the next house hack, it was six months to save 25 grand. And then I saved 25 grand in a month after that. So now I'm still trying to figure out how to save 25 grand in a week. So I haven't gotten there yet, but I'll figure it out soon. Obviously, you had this kind of home run thing that happened for you right out of the gate there. You're 23. Is there anything, though, when you were getting started where things didn't really seem like they were going to be so rosy, like things didn't seem so positive? You weren't sure if this was going to work out for you? Yeah, the entire journey. So 
to show you guys that are listening to paint the entire story of like where I went to where I am. I was in that corporate job and I realized that that was not the life for me. And I made it to the top of the company. They gave me sales rep of the year. They gave me rookie of the year. They gave me all the awards and I made it to the mountaintop and I realized I was climbing the wrong freaking mountain. So at that point, that's when I tried to quit the job and started buying the real estate. And that's where all of this story ties in together. March of this year, this episode's going out in November or December 2022. And March of this year, I left that job and went to go travel around the world. So in July, I hopped on a one-way flight. And since that point, I full-time traveled the entire world. (laughs) And I've been to Europe, I've been to Greece, I've been, I lived in Greece for a month, and now I was in Brazil for a month. So it's been a wild ride. And the most difficult part of all of this was when I actually left the job, that period between that point and the flight, where all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't have anything to do now. Like, I have my freedom. Congratulations, you earned it. Who the hell am I? You're like, I'm used to working 40 hours a week, waking up at eight, being at work at nine, coming home at five. I have nothing now and nobody. So who am I? What am I about? What am I going to do with my time now to make things work for me? That was the time where I had panic attacks. I almost thought I had to go to the hospital. And it was my peers and my coaches and my mentors that helped me get through that point to be able to get on that plane in July to be able to go exit my comfort zone and create the new life that I now live. So do you have any actionable takeaways for listeners who are maybe feeling that? Like they're really close to financial independence. They've been going after this goal for so long. And it's once you hit the goal, it's the now what? Like I've reached the top of the mountain, or at least that's what a lot of people in the community seem to think. How did you on a tactical level start to shape your new goals, your new visions, your new purpose in life? So I'll start it with kind of the framework that I use to be able to go through this, because what it all boils down to, all the stress and all the anxiety of financial freedom is just simply like fear of loss or fear of failure. So fear of loss of status, fear of loss of control, and then fear of failing, losing all your money, going broke, falling flat on your face, and then all of your friends and coworkers that you have now laughing at you, right? Those are essentially the fears that we all have. So What I set out to do was set up a framework and a system to where I could mitigate as many of those fears as possible. And so I made a four-step framework, and here is how I did it. This is literally step-by-step how I went about this and how I recommend other people go about it, whether you're on your financial freedom journey right now and you're close to the end or you're just now beginning. The first thing, like I said, is start your vision. So you need to get a crystal clear idea of what you want your life to look like in three years. You're going to write what you want your life to look like in present tense three years from now. So that's step one, getting clear about what you want. Step two is going to be getting that first $5,000 some odd of passive income. You want to get enough passive income to cover your fixed expenses. And this step is called making your financial foundation. So it's going to be your cash flowing real estate, maybe a laundromat, car wash, index funds, dividend stocks, whatever you need to do to have your fixed expenses covered. This will give you that base layer of financial security. Then once that's covered and you're not worried about that, then you move on to the next level, which is building like your financial frame. So your financial frame is going to be now that your financial bases are covered, you're going to go start doing the coaches, the masterminds, reinvesting into skills, courses, community, and you're going to start meeting people that are on the same path and journey as you. And then so these people are going to be giving you other opportunities to build businesses with together. And then on that point, 
that's where you move into the final stage, where now you have your financial foundation set, you have your frame because you have this massive community that's supporting you, and then you start creating businesses on the side with them to fill the gap of what you have left over to be able to finally make the jump. So those are the four steps that I did and created what's called passionate income. Because I think passive income rocks, but when you are literally living on the Greek islands and you have nothing to do, you're not just going to sit there on the beach all day. Like there's no point to that. People think they want that, but they don't actually want that. So you need something to actually do with your life. Yeah, I think a few things here are all coming together the same point where you're talking about there were some kind of identity struggles that you had when you left your W-2 job. You talked about earlier how you had the friend who you were living with who didn't believe that you were going to do what you did. I think we've all been through situations where like your family, friends are just not understanding what you're going on. And, and now you're at this point where you're talking about, hey, I'm on these Greek islands and I don't want to just sit here all day. So for somebody who maybe that's what they're scared about, they're scared about leaving behind their identity. They're scared about what am I going to do with my day? What do you have that you could maybe say to them to reassure them that it is worth it? Because it can be scary to say, like when somebody meets you at a party, like, what do you do for a living? And how to answer that question, like things like that. (laughs) I'm still working on that one. (laughs) (laughs) What it all boils down to is it just goes back to those core fundamental fears. And now what you're talking about is just purely fear of the unknown. It's being in that plane that's sitting on the runway and you're starting to take off. And as you're starting to take off, you go through that first layer of clouds and turbulence and you have no idea what's in front of you, what's to the left or right. All you know is that you're headed in generally the right direction. So the key is to continue to take action until you get through that layer of clouds and you can see the forest over the trees, right? So everyone gets into this analysis paralysis stage because they're waiting for confidence to take action. But the reality is that taking action is what yields the confidence. So the best way to overcome the fear is to take micro actions constantly and take enough of those actions to where your success becomes undeniable. And then you finally accomplish what you're trying to do. So for me, in that case, I was like, okay, now I'm sitting here. Like my financial bases are covered. I was making twenty dollars to $25,000 a month coming in through my real estate, which we can get into my podcast business, which we can get into. And I had passive income and passionate income together. And now I was like, okay, now it's showtime to finally make the rubber meet the road. So what I would say is just not being afraid of failing at points of your journey, because anything is better than being where you are. Because the worst case scenario that's going to happen is you fail completely, you go and get another job which is what you're doing right now. So your worst case scenario, if everything hits the fan, is your present day reality. So once you realize that, then it's kind of easy at that point. Because <laughs> you're like, okay, cool. All right, I'm already living my hell. Let's move on. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, that's so true. So speaking of consistent action and failing a lot, entrepreneurship. We haven't really touched on it too much yeah. in regards to your story, but... You mentioned a DJ company that you started in college. Now, you know, you've moved on to buying real estate and you have this podcast business. Can we actually just touch on the DJ company real quick? What was it? What lessons were learned? And then we can use that to build your entrepreneurial base to all the stuff you have going on today. Yeah, people are probably get more value from the house hack side and like from the podcast <laughs> side, but the DJ business was fun. So in college, like to go way back and I'll go, I'll be really quick about this for people listening. They said, hey, you can be a bartender or a DJ. And I was like, I know 20 bartenders. I only know one DJ. So it was my first run in with scarcity and niche, right? So I was like, I'm going to be the DJ. 
And so I was the DJ at one of the most popular bars in my college town. So obviously that was fun for me as a college guy. And I started getting booked for events. Demand went crazy. I started getting booked six months, a year in advance. I was like, I'm going to start hiring people. So I had four DJs working for me that were fraternity brothers. And I bought a bunch of speakers with my profit. And I was like, okay, you guys are going to go work. You make 40%. I make 60% of your events. And I'm going to go do this and raise my rates because demand is too much. And so pure entrepreneurship, that's what I did. And I was making like two grand a week, which was like, now it's, oh my God, it's not the best thing in the world. But what it allowed me to do was like pay off the student loans and graduate debt free. So that was cool. And then I started house hacking, which we can get into that. That was like, now I'm an investor. Now this is the freaking show. Let's unpack the house hack. Walk us through what that first one was like. And then once you got hooked, what you started to look for after that first one. So the house hacks, I have a very specific niche. Just about anybody on this show can look at, even with the interest rates like they are right now. I bought everything off the MLS. I looked for 1970s to 1980s split level houses where they have a full in-law suite with a kitchen in the bottom. So I looked for houses with two kitchens on the MLS, which most people aren't going to buy those because they have no need for their kitchen. Because in my market, in a lot of markets for people listening, duplexes are hard to get. So they're either going to be the worst looking duplex you've ever seen that are like way out of the city, or it's going to be like a $5 million duplex in midtown Atlanta or midtown Denver or something that you can't afford. So for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to do what's called the luxury house hack. So I'd buy a single family home. I'd live in one part. I'd rent the other parts out. It was co-living before co-living became sexy. So what I did was I'd buy these houses and I'd buy them 3% down in the beginning and then 5% down afterwards, low to no money down. And I would just do the conventional loan using my W-2 salary and commissions as like the collateral there. And what I did was I would live in the downstairs, rent the upstairs out and rent the other bedroom. So I'd buy five bed, four bath houses and the upstairs would be a three, two. And that'd be my HGTV unit. And I would rent that out as a three, two unit. And that was the super nice one. And then that would already cover my mortgage and my utilities. And then downstairs, what I would do is I would have one of the other bedrooms rented out to a friend. So I rented that out for 800 bucks. And so I was cash flowing $200 when I was living there. And now that I've moved out and rents have gone up, I just rinsed and repeated and did that again. So I've got four units of real estate that print me out $3,200 of net cash flow each month. So that was what allowed me to have that baseline. Because when you have a house hack, your mortgage is covered. So your biggest thing that you pay, whether that's rent or mortgage, is completely zero. So that was a huge cheat code that I did. And so were you just doing straight house hacking? Did you just do house hack hopping is what I like to call it, where you just went house hack? Or were you buying any real estate in between? No, that was it. Very unsexy. So everything that I've accomplished, I did off of a very unsexy foundation. But then what I did on top of that was then I started the podcast and I didn't think that was going to be a source of income. It was something I was just doing for free that I really enjoyed. And it ended up becoming a source of income. So that's my favorite thing to talk about is figuring out what the heck you like doing for free and monetizing that bad boy. Because that is a freaking life of fulfillment and achievement right there. I think that is like the end destination that people don't know that they're shooting for yet, but they should shoot for. It's passionate income. Well, let's dive into the podcast then. Let's talk about how like going into it, you probably reasonably thought like this is not going to be a big moneymaker, but you're passionate about it. What are you doing differently than maybe the other podcasters that have a similar niche, a similar audience? And why are you making so much more than them? 
So we'll go into podcasting a little bit for people listening. I know a lot of you guys aren't like actually in the podcast game. So I'll use some specific terminology to begin. But just take what I'm saying and apply the framework to just about any business that you can imagine online. So in podcasting, two different ways to make money. CPM, CPA. CPM is cost per mil. You get a certain dollar amount, like 25 bucks per thousand downloads. Easy enough. CPA is cost per acquisition or affiliate. So what I do is I do the CPA model. So when I had my show, I had people that were joining and signing up for high ticket services without me even knowing about it, just because I was talking about it. And my audience was a high net worth, high income audience. So they were signing up for this $10,000 mastermind and this $10,000 coach, both of which I pay for. And so I wasn't even trying to sell them, but there was like 20, 30 people a month joining all this stuff to where they reached out to me and said, dude, what do you got going on over here? This is revenue coming in. Let's create an affiliate relationship. So I was like, you got it, man. And so that's what I started doing was I started capturing that affiliate and I started doing a 15% affiliate. And so anytime somebody paid that $10,000, I'd make $1,500. All of a sudden, I blinked twice. And that's in December of last year. I began my show in October. By December, I made eight grand. By January, I made like 15 grand. By February, I was making over 20 grand. March, I made 20 grand. And this is on top of my W-2, on top of my real estate. So January, February, and March, I was making over 50 grand a month, like touching up towards $80,000. And I was just like, holy crap. I can leave this freaking job. Like I've got momentum here. I've got traction. So I put everything into an emergency fund. I saved up six months of cash so that I can not be stressed out or in a scarcity mindset when I quit my job. And then what I did at that point was made sure that everything was working and still operating smoothly for three months in a row. And then that's when I pulled the trigger on everything. And I exited that job. What I tell people is we just talked about podcasting. But I know that Cody does a bunch of stuff online. You can do online courses. You could do online coaching. You can create a brand and a community about anything that you're passionate about. You just have to put the time and the work in and make sure that you're niched down far enough to reach the right people. So what did that transition look like back in March of 2022? You were doing both of these things simultaneously. You're running this super successful podcast. You have this full-time day job. I know sales isn't exactly nine to five. Sometimes it's like a nine to nine type of job. What happened when you quit? Did you just start pouring 40 to 50 extra hours into this podcast? And what did that mean for the growth of the business? Yeah, yeah, that was my idea, <laughs> right? And that would make sense for people listening. But to add a little bit of spice to the story, that would make things way too easy, right? If everything works out how you're supposed to plan, because right now you guys are listening to me and you're like, oh, must be nice, dude. Yeah, you just got back done traveling around the world for five months. You're about to go to Singapore. Cool, sounds nice. Not me. Must be nice for other people. So in March, when I left the job, I was like, okay, I'm, these affiliates are rolling in. I'm gravy. Like, I've got this. Yeah, that month I got tested. So people are going to have what's called the entrepreneurial test, where the universe, God, whatever you believe in, is going to kick you in the teeth to make sure that you want it bad enough. And so that month of April afterwards, I made like $4,000 off of the affiliates. And it was just completely dry. Now, I had the real estate still, so I was still good. And I was like, no matter what, I am committing for six months. This is what I'm doing. That's why I had the emergency fund. Come hell or high water, I knew that I was covered for six months. So I was going to take massive levels of action. No matter what, there's no other option. This is what I'm set out to do. Even if I fail, then I will have learned and grown enough in the process to make it worth it. So 
April, I made $4,000. And then it started picking back up after that. And then the day before I'm supposed to go on the flight, July 5th, one of the affiliates backs out. And it was my mindset coach. So he was like, me and him got into a fight and he canceled a relationship. So then I cut my income back down to like in half. And I was just like, all right, cool. I'm still doing this. I'm still trusting the process. I'm still believing in the system. I'm going to figure it out. And now fast forward through all the travels, through everything, through Greece, Amsterdam, Italy, Portugal, Brazil, everywhere that I've been, I was like, now I'm going to create a media company. And so that was my new thing is I was like, I'm going to create a media company. And now I'm going to teach other people how to do what I just did. And so I like soft launched a course, which by the time this airs will probably be completely launched. But I just messaged people that were asking me for coaching and messaging me personally and saying, hey, I listened to the podcast. I love everything you talk about. Can you help me? And originally, I was trying to do like coaching calls. And I hated it. Because I was saying, oh, okay, I'll do $500 an hour for a coaching call. And people were saying yes. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't good. (laughs) I thought they would say no. And so I was spending my entire day trying to figure out like, how do I provide $500 of value for this call? But that's not the lifestyle I wanted to live. Because I was traveling, I wanted to have more passive and more streamlined. So then I built it all into a course instead, canceled all of that, refunded all those guys. And then I was like, I'm going to do the course. So then through people just messaging me inbound and me giving them like an outlet, but it's just insane to think about whenever you provide value to people and you give without any expectation of anything in return, what you get. So my biggest piece of advice for anybody in business that's listening to this right now is the longer that you can give value for free without expectation of return, the higher the return will be. And so for me, I went and did the podcast five episodes a week for an entire year before I made my ask. And then because of that, now it's a very natural transition. So that's the entire story. That's awesome and great advice. And I think it also touches back into that kind of some of the thermostat analogies you had where you've got these things where you think that this is your limit. You think this is what you can charge. You think this is what you're worth based on whatever kind of insecurities you may have built in. And when you can overcome those and realize what's actually possible, it's pretty wild. But I'm curious, like a lot of times when people are really successful like yourself, it's because they can't stop. That's the reason they're successful. So as this continues and as you continue to build these monetary streams, do you have anything that you actually expect to use this money on? What's the so what of all this? Like once you have all this income, you've already got a life that you've built a freedom. Is there another layer level to this? Yeah. So there's a couple different layers of freedom in general. So there's three different levels of freedom. So financial freedom is the first level. And everyone thinks that's like the ultimate level. So financial freedom is level one where it's, okay, got my money taken care of. Like my expenses are covered by my investments. Good. I technically do not have to work. But then what happens is that person has real estate, Airbnbs, their own businesses, which they think are quote unquote passive. But as Cody and I have talked about before, they're not necessarily passive, right? So then you end up growing yourself and building yourself another job. So now congratulations, you've left your 40 hours a week. Now you're working 90 hours a week. Congratulations, you hit your freedom. So the second level is personal freedom. And personal freedom is freedom of schedule, doing what you want, when you want, with who you want, truly. And that would be an example of Cody with his online courses. It comes in, he doesn't have to work because he did the work up front. Then the third level is philosophical freedom. So philosophical freedom is now you start asking about, okay, what impact do I want to provide? How can I leave behind 
more than what I came here with. Like, how can I impact my generations in the future? How can I make the world a better place? What's the meaning of happiness, fulfillment? Those are the conversations you begin to have. So that's where I'm at right now, where I'm trying to think about what impact do I want to provide. And so that's all I'm focused on is building my business around that question is how can I help as many people get what they want at scale as possible? That's the one singular question that I'm working on. And the answer to that for me is I want to help 1 million people by December 1st, 2024, leave unfulfilling jobs in corporate America so that they can have a life of fun, freedom and fulfillment. That's my goal. That's my big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, as a byproduct of that, I'm going to make $10 million plus. But that's going to be as like a byproduct of it. The revenue is like the gas exhaust coming out of a car to where instead of it being the goal, it's the result that happens. So for me, like the marginal utility of money, I don't really care about as much anymore. I will more so when I have a family. But to give you a literal answer to land the plane here, I want to be an income generation machine to where I'm making six to seven figures net of just pure income through my business. And then I'm going to give it to all of my friends that are doing their 10,000 hours in real estate, commercial, multifamily, Airbnbs. I want to be the capital side of the equation. I want to just throw it all to them. And I want to JV, I want to LP in all these different real estate deals and just dump it into commercial, dump it into Airbnbs and ride off into the sunset. Because that's my strategy. Because you can only put your 10,000 hours on one thing. If you're good at a lot of things, you're not going to make a lot of money. You have to be great at one thing. I think that's a really good point. I think a lot of people will put their 10 or 15 hours into something and then give up because they're not getting the results they wanted. But I know for you, and you just talked about this, like goodwill compounds. Like if you do something for long enough and it's not monetized, like later down the road, you're able to monetize that thing. I know with your podcast, I mean, you're putting out like daily episodes at this point and a lot of people can't do things that consistently, whether it's something entrepreneurial or even going to the gym or just like any habit. Could you talk about that for a second, like from a mindset standpoint? Because obviously in your case, it's putting out a podcast, which is a ton of work and every single day is crazy. How can other people apply that same consistency framework through all the ups and downs and in your personal life? There's always so much stuff going on and just actually getting in the booth in your case every single day. Maybe you probably batch, but metaphorically every single day and just getting it done. First off, if you think that any of this is easy, you're an idiot. Sorry. (laughs) But like Gary Vaynerchuk, I won't go like full exactly what he said, but he was like, people come to me and they want to create their own businesses, build a life for multi-millions of dollars, and then build their own business and then complain that it's hard. And he goes, no shit, it's hard. Of course it's hard. If it was easy, literally every single person would do it. So Here's my literal answer for this. And for everybody that's listening, you can apply this right now when you get out of the freaking car. It's simply changing your relationship with failure and changing what you measure as success. So failure, we're all terrified of it, right? And we all stay away from it. And we don't do hard things because we're afraid of what? Of messing up and failing at them. But then when you embrace failure and you run towards failure because you know that it's an example of growth and that means that you're going in the right direction, and you embrace failure and use it to become better as the best accelerant for success, then all of a sudden you start taking really big swings at things and you're not really stressed out or paranoid. Like right now I'm in the process of building a media company from zero to $10 million of recurring revenue. I have no freaking idea how to do that. And it's so much fun and I'm going to mess things up so much along the way, but I'm going to learn so much that by the end of it, at that 10,000 hour mark, I'm going to be so much better for it even if I don't hit the goal. The point of the goal 
is not to hit the goal. The point of a goal is to become the type of person that is capable of hitting a goal. So the second part of that answer is changing what you measure. Everybody measures what's called lag measures. You need to measure your lead measures. So you said the gym as an example. So I'll use weight loss as a good example of this. People will say, I need to lose weight. I want to lose 20 pounds. So they'll focus on the gym and all that stuff. I'll eat healthier, blah, blah, blah. And then each week, they'll weigh themselves on that scale. And they'll say, okay, I lost two pounds. I lost one pound. I lost three pounds. I didn't lose any weight this week. What the heck? That's a lag measure. That's a result of actions. What you need to track are the lead measures, the inputs, not the outcomes. So instead, you need to be tracking how many gym sessions did you do? How many hours did you do of cardio? How many calories did you eat? How many ounces of water did you drink each day? Once you change your measurement system to, I want a million downloads on a podcast, to, I'm just going to do a podcast each day, then that's an easier task to commit to. Because I know the outcome will be millions and millions of downloads. But my inputs are right in front of me in my face each day so that I can go to bed as success each and every day and know that my success is inevitable in the long term in the macro because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do each and every day. And identity is in self-esteem is just simply keeping the promises you make to yourself on a daily basis. So if you do those actions, then you will, by default, take those actions, build confidence, build self-esteem, be the best version of yourself, and ride off into the freaking sunset. All right. So five star rating and a review for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely do love that last little bit you went over because actually in my W2 job, I have to have this conversation with my team sometimes. And it's so true. If you weighed your food, you wouldn't have to weigh yourself. If you. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) the inputs are the only thing that you can actually control. Like nothing you can do about the end results. There's nothing you can do about the lag ones except for changing the leading one. So that's a great point. And I don't think that's something like we really cover enough, but takes the emotions away. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely does. Brian, we're coming up on probably time here, 45 minutes in. It's been awesome. I've loved having you on the show. Loved giving us that whole story of like where you started. You've given us so many little nuggets and things I think will really stick with listeners. Things like this concept of a thermostat, right? We can all relate to that. So I appreciate all the little stories and the nuggets. Where is the best place for people to keep up with what's next? Because you obviously are going to have some crazy things coming up next. Yeah, so I don't really have much of a digital footprint. I'm off of social media. No. So the best place that I'd recommend for people going is Action Academy Podcast, which is my show. Smiling Gentleman Cody Berman was on there. We had a good conversation while I was in Brazil. Five episodes a week. Not all of them are long. Some of them are just like quick, punchy, five to 10 minute. Here's how you overcome fear of failure. Here's how you build confidence. But then we also have guests like Jeff Hoffman. It's the billionaire founder of Priceline.com, Brandon Turner. A lot of guests that we've also shared on this awesome show. If you guys like this one, you'll like mine as well. And we can win together. Action Academy podcast is available everywhere. If you're more of a text kind of guy or girl, you can go to my website, w2toworldtravel.com. You can get a free 30-page ebook that's going to walk you through step-by-step that four-step framework that we talked about. And you can apply that in your life and business today. Hopefully take that next step towards your freedom. So those are the two places. And then you can find my social media through the podcast. I'm everywhere. Awesome, man. Just want to thank you again for coming on. For you listeners out there, make sure you go check out the Action Academy podcast. You know what episode to start with. It's the one that I'm featured on. And I'm sure everyone is going to get in a lot of actionable takeaways. You put out awesome content. I'm always thoroughly impressed. Again, like I was talking about before, you're able to put out a content every single day, which a lot of people struggle with. So just want to thank you again, man, for coming on, sharing your wisdom and sharing your time with us. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.